Let's go ahead and get started. How about stand with me tonight? Everybody doing okay? Boy, y'all awful quiet. How many are tired tonight? Hey, just think, two more days. 
and then you, yeah, and then you have the weekend, and then you're back at it again. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you've tuned in uh, tonight as we uh, have our midweek service. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Um, we uh, we had several. Again, there's most of you know we don't take that time much anymore, but quite a few folks still need a touch from the Lord, and so we just want to lift up our church family, church body. Um, and always, always, we want to continue praying for revival as we move into the uh, this midterm election. You know, how many's already nauseated with the commercials coming on TV? Uh, just, just absolutely. We, we, we need to pray. We need to pray for our nation, in a, in a, in our state, in a really, really bad way. Um, but uh, God's will be done. And uh, let's pray, Father. Tonight, we just love you so much and. Thank you to be able to thank you for being able to come together and study your word tonight, Lord. I thank you for those that are here and those that have tuned in tonight. And I pray that, uh, uh, Lord, that no matter where, where what our week has delivered to us thus far, I pray that tonight, Lord, we find a a moment just to pause and to enter into your presence, Lord. Come in with uh, thanksgiving, Lord. May we come in and find that joy and that peace. And I pray for the hands that went up in the building tonight, Lord. Uh, each one represents a need. I pray, Father, no matter what that need is tonight. God, that you would just touch uh, and, and bring the answer. Lord, I pray for those that need healing. I pray, Father, for those that need provision. I pray, Father, for those that need some encouragement, Lord, those that need guidance. Uh, Lord, you're all of those things and so much more. And I just pray that tonight as we, as we just look to you to find, uh, Lord, just that answer. Lord, we trust you with all of our heart. I pray, Father, that uh, you'll be with all the ministries that are taking place on campus tonight. Be exalted and lifted high in all things. And, Lord, we pray. Uh, for our nation. Uh, Lord, we ask for a revival. Uh, Lord, again, let it begin with us. Let it begin in our hearts, Lord. And we pray as we move into the uh, midterm elections, Lord, there are a lot of things that are happening in our in our society, Lord. And we just pray that we would hear your mind and your heart and that we would do, get out and do what we need to do, Lord. These are freedoms that are, uh, that, that can easily be taken away, Lord. And I just pray that you would, uh, Lord, your will be done. Be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Um, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4 as we get into our teaching tonight. Uh, uh, in way of announcements, just a couple things. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow is our food distribution day uh, at the Yellow Jacket Stadium, uh, 930. We, we have a couple folks that will be out tomorrow, so if we have some volunteers maybe tuned in tonight or here, uh, we could use maybe a couple extra hands tomorrow as we do that. Um, but uh, And then also don't forget, on Sunday, we continue with our series on the 11th hour. Uh, we've been looking at the end times and uh, what the Bible has to say about where we are. Um, listen, there's a lot of things going on. If you pay attention to the news, I brought out a couple things on Sunday about Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2. Uh, again, just as an as a an example of what you can see happening in our world. And sometimes we read the Bible and we wonder, how in the world is all this going to line up and take place? Well, God already knows. And God's already got it laid out and his plan continues. And, uh, and, and again, the whole, the whole focus of, of studying end times is so that we can remain focused on the task at hand. This world's not our home and we got a job to do. And those are two priorities that we need to keep in focus. Anyway, let's get into our word tonight. Uh, uh, again, this is not this is really a short series, but we're calling it, calling it the encounter. Four women who met Jesus. 
uh, four women who met, uh, who met Jesus. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman. Um, we've talked about Mary of Bethany. Um, who did we talk about last week? Who was it? Oh, the Syrophoenician woman. I'm sorry. Yeah, my, my, yeah, the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, she remember Jesus called her a dog, and we looked at that. So tonight we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman. So John chapter four, beginning verse number four. But he needed to go to go through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, a woman, I can't talk, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Isn't this, <coughs> pardon me. Isn't this a great story? You know, out of all the stories in the Bible, I mean, I think a lot of people have favorites, and, and uh, again, there's so many of them, but this, this is a good story. Um, I'll begin by, have, have you ever had an unexpected encounter with someone that changed your life? You, you, ever, you ever come across somebody or somebody came across your path and it was just a, you know, we call it a chance meeting. But as a believer, we understand there's nothing that happens by chance, right? You know, it's, it's interesting if you go back down through your life and you take memory lane and how many times God has strategically placed people in our lives that spoke into us at the moment we needed it. Whether it's a phone call from a friend that we haven't talked to in a long time giving words of encouragement or somebody... Uh, again, it's just an amazing thing to see how God orchestrates the events of our lives. Uh, you know, and then we have these encounters. One minute you're headed one direction, and then you have this unexpected encounter, encounter and then, boom, you're headed in a different direction. That's kind of the premise of what happens here tonight in our story. Uh, basically, the story is you have a man and you have a woman that met at a well on a hot afternoon in Samaria. Now, from this story, we don't know the woman's name. Uh, we do know the man. It was Jesus, okay? Their brief conversation, this, this unexpected encounter changed her life. It was one of those things that set her, you know, I, I talk about it oftentimes, how that it, it, when we come to Jesus, he can change the trajectory of our lives. This lady had her life changed from this chance encounter. Now, it was a hot day, okay? We can... We can uh, we can draw from the scripture that Jesus says he was weary from traveling. So it was a hot day. The sun beat down on his head. The sweat poured off his brow as he's walking along this dusty road. Probably, you know, I mean, who knows, summertime, mid, late July. Uh, to make matters worse, he's traveling with, uh, with his friends. They've been doing, it's, it's, it's a long thing. They've been doing this all day long. They've been traveling all day long. Uh, the sun was directly overhead. He's hurrying to, uh, you know, they're trying to get to where they're wanting to go. You ever, you ever done that? You just, you're just trying to get there. And as, he, as they're moving, he comes to this well, okay? This well has a rock ledge, okay, built above the ground, typical Middle Eastern construction of a well. 
and he sits down on the lip of this well and thinks, I need some water. Again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making my story as I go. As he thinks about having something to drink, a lady shows up, okay, at midday. And, and again, it wasn't the normal time. This was an unusual, it was an unusual thing uh, for there to be someone there at the well at midday. Uh, so she came along. Again, wasn't normal time. It was, it was unusual for a woman to come. Not only was it an unusual time, but it was an unusual event for a woman to come to the well alone. Just didn't happen. But this lady was different. This lady was different. And as we start unpacking this tonight, there are four invisible walls between these two people. Again, you have a man who is Jesus. You have this Samaritan woman. She comes to the well. He's seated there. And you have this encounter. And there are four invisible walls that separate them. The first one is there is a religious wall, okay, a religious wall. Then there is a gender wall. Okay, man, woman. Then there is a racial wall, okay? He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. And then there's the moral wall. And yet, here's the point of this story. Through all of this, Jesus found a way to get to her. So, so the story, he found her, and then she found him. That, that, that's the whole story right there. He found her. And then she found him. Now, verse 4, notice how it starts out. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to. Now, now again, geography is important. I, I, I told you this, I, you know, I've said this many, many times, that nothing is wasted in the Bible. If it's in there, it's important. Geography is, is an all, it, it's, it's very important understanding uh, what's going on here. In, G, in, the, in this time, during the time of Christ, there were three regions in Israel, or the promised land, stacked on each other. There was, the, there was Galilee in the north. That was where the Sea of Tiberias was, uh, or is. It's still there. <laughs> um, then you had Samaria, which is in the middle. And then you had uh, Judea in the south. Okay, so they're stacked on top of each other. The easiest and the quickest way to get from Galilee to Judea is what? Straight through Samaria. Okay, that's the easiest way to do it. But many Jews... Because they considered, again, there was a racial barrier because they considered the Samaritans to be inferior to them. Many of the Jews would cross over the Jordan River and they would come down on the other side when they got, to the, when they got into Judea. Then they would cross back over the river into Judea so they would not have to go through Samaria. Um, many Jews, again, took that route because they looked down on the Samaritans as uh, religious and racial half-breeds. That's, that's really what they looked at. Um, they were heretics, and they didn't want anything to do with them. And so uh, you, the question is, the Bible says Jesus had to go. One translation said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? I mean, when the Jews either didn't go there or they passed through as quickly as they possibly could. Why did he go there? Well, the answer was simple and it's profound. Jesus went because there was a woman that he needed to meet. Again, Jesus was never anywhere accidentally. Wherever he was, he was there 
when he needed to be. You know, you, you never see him looking at a sundial saying, oh, it's, I'm 15 minutes late. Never did that. He never said, oh, my goodness, I'm in Capernaum and I should have been in Galilee. Never said that. He was where he needed to be at the time he needed to be there. And when the Bible says, I need to go through Samaria, it's because he had an intent. There was a lady there that he needed to meet, the, he needed to meet this woman. He knew that she would be coming to the well at the precise moment that he was sitting there weary from his journey. Again, nothing is by happenstance. I really believe that our steps are ordered of the Lord. Uh, again, and, and this story is a case in point. Nothing in the story happens by chance. Every single detail of this story is the outworking of God's plan. Every, every bit of it. The woman is not looking for Jesus, okay? She's coming at midday for a reason. So she's not looking for Jesus. All she wants is water. And so she's coming there to get water, but Jesus is looking for her. He said, I got to go. I got to go. I must, listen, you have to go to Samaria if you want to reach the Samaritans. Our missionaries live with that philosophy. If you want to reach um, Asians, you got to go to Asia. You want to reach uh, Marshallese, you got to go to the Marshall Islands. You know, if you're going to reach Samaritans, you got to go to Samaria. So he doesn't avoid, he doesn't do what most of the Jews do, cross over, come down, and cross back over. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't get in a hurry. He's sitting there lounging, sitting there on the lip of that, of that well. Uh, though she doesn't know it, this woman has a divine appointment with the Son of God. That's what's so fascinating. We get to read this by looking back in time to see this unfold. But, but again, she's going there at noonday, not expecting anybody to be there. And then she happens to come up on a man who is a Jew who says, hey, give me something to drink. An important truth about evangelism is this. Reaching people for Christ, it's not always comfortable. And many times it's going to be difficult. But if we're going to reach people, we've got to go where they are. Amen? If we're going to reach people, we have to go where, to where they are. You know, there used to be a time in this country where you could throw up a banner or a billboard or something and talk about special things or events that you have at your church, and, and, and people would come. How many know that's long gone? Very rarely will you find somebody that responds. Uh, you know, direct mailers are probably some of the worst expenses that a church can have. Spending money, sending. How many's ever got mailers in the you know things in the mail, postcards and cards in the mail? Probably one of the worst things. You know, how many of you? Well, I'm not even going to ask that. Most people probably just toss them in file 13. Don't pay attention to them. So how do we reach people today? We go where they are. We go where they are. One of the reasons that we do the food distribution at the Yellow Jacket Stadium, as opposed to back. Back in the day when we first began, we had it out here. One of the reasons is we wanted to go where they were. You know, it would be easy to say, hey, come over here to 600 South Colonial, drive through the parking lot, and we can serve you over here, but why not go out to where they are? You know, on the highway, the highways and the byways, we're in the main thoroughfare. Why not do that? Again, in evangelism, if you're going to reach people, you have to go where they are. Jesus intended to save this woman, so what does he do? He said, i got to go to Samaria. He went where she was. She came alone to the well at noontime. Again, potentially a dangerous situation and actually very, very unusual. Women 
normally would come together to the well. And they would do it either in the morning or in the evening. I mean, it really was kind of like a social event. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. You can, you can read between the lines there. <laughs> but it was a social event. So the fact that this lady came by herself probably means that she had a reputation. She had a checkered past that was well known to the villagers, and they shunned her. Maybe she'd been ostracized by the other women, and so she didn't feel comfortable trying to come out in the morning or the evening with the other ladies, so she comes out alone when nobody else would. So let's look at a couple things regarding this story. Number one, let's talk about the conversation. The conversation. The conversation with this, in this story begins with a simple question from Jesus. Give me something to drink. That's it. Now, again, remember, the lady didn't come to the well seeking Christ, but he came seeking her. It's a big difference there. And, 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 again, the unique thing about it is he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. There's no prejudice with Jesus, okay? It doesn't matter to him that other Jews would not go through Samaria. He welcomes all and he shuns none. So he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, there are three surprises in this passage. Number one, the first surprise is that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. Again, a lot of bigotry, a lot of, lot of prejudice. So the surprise, number one, is that, there, that a Jew would actually talk to a Samaritan. Surprise number two is that a man would speak to a woman he didn't know in public. Again, that, that was not a normal thing. It was a taboo. It wouldn't, it's not something that would normally take place. And the third thing is this. A Jew would never drink from a Samaritan's cup. would never do that. See, in the first century, it was almost unheard of for a man to speak to a woman in public in that situation that we find in our Scripture. Asking for a drink of water is even more unusual since Jewish rabbis taught that it was a sin to touch the utensils of a Samaritan, one that they had already touched. Again, so, so you ever wonder why Jesus got in trouble? <laughs> Things like this. Because he didn't care. He said, I've got to go to Samaria. Why? Because there was a lady there that needed what he had to give. You've got you to go where the people are. And that's what Jesus is doing. When Jesus offers her living water, what he's doing is he's, he's being deliberately ambiguous, okay? He's, he, he's, you know, he's, he's being secretive a little bit because in, in the original language, that phrase could actually mean running water, okay? It could mean running water. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to incite her curiosity. How many's ever said, how many's ever been in a conversation and somebody said something and it kind of piqued your, you kind of, oh, that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to incite her curiosity without making her suspicious. It's kind of like him saying, you know what, you came here for water, but I've got water you've never dreamed of. I've got water you've never dreamed of. He's leading her step by step by step to saving faith. Again, none of this story happens on accident or by chance. It's all a divine setup. First thing he does is Jesus leads her to see her need. And then he reveals who he is then he offers something that can change her life. 
See, he's offering not, uh, what he's offering is something that doesn't just quench her, it's not to quench her thirst or banish it once and for all. He's offering her something much greater than that momentary pleasure of not being thirsty. You know, I, I, when you read the story, one thing that stands out to me about this story is how many times Jesus really focuses on the issue, do you know who I am? That's what he's trying to do is get her to see. See, people today, when they're, when they're born again, it's because they now see. Like the song, amazing, you know, I, I was blind, but now I see. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're blind to the truth of the gospel. When we're born again, the scales fall. We're, we're enlivened by the Spirit, and we see. And that's what he's trying to do. He's leading her step by step by step to see who he is and what he can do. Uh, again, it's not just a drink of water. Uh, it's something much more in the recesses of the heart. That's the, that's the conversation. Let's talk about the confrontation. Listen, you can never have salvation without a confrontation. And this is a confrontation. He says to her, because she gets excited. I mean, it exactly did, it did exactly what Jesus intended. When he said, I, I, I can, if you knew who it was speaking to you, I could give you water, this living water, and you'll never thirst again. She's like, oh, yeah, I won't have to, and she, and I won't have to come out here again. Again, probably open to shame and ridicule and ostracized by the others. And so in her mind, she's thinking, man, if I can tap into this living water, I wouldn't have to come out here anymore. She's there. That's the hook. So Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. She's probably thinking, I wish he hadn't said that. <laughs> go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And then, of course, Jesus said to her, Verse 16 through 18, he said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're, you have now is not your husband. And what does she do? And he tells her, he said, what you said is true. <laughs> what you said is true. That's a confrontation. He's bringing her face to face with the issues of her life. Now, now, if you just kind of read through that on one level, it seems like Jesus is being very insensitive. Why would you talk about somebody's failed marriages time and time and time and time and time again? <laughs> I mean, is he trying to embarrass her? Not hardly. See, when he says go and call your husband, uh, it, it did make her uncomfortable. How many, how many know when you're confronted with the, the reality of our sin, it's uncomfortable? It's like the truth. The truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. It made her uncomfortable. So that's true. She has no husband. That's what she said. It's true, but it wasn't the entire story. See, she knows that she's hiding the truth, but what she doesn't know is that Jesus knows the truth. He knows the truth. And so he proceeds to tell her the rest of the story. Right, you've well said that you have no husband. In fact, you had five, and the guy that you're with right now, <laughs> not your husband. What would you do if somebody read your I, I remember one time years ago, I got had a phone call here in the office, and it was a lady calling in, and she said, she said, Pastor, I, they didn't attend church here, but they, she wanted to send her daughter up here to, to kind of counsel, pray with, whatever. And she said, so she tells me the back story of some things going on, and she said, she'll be up there a little bit this a little later this afternoon, and if y'all could just kind of meet with her, maybe pray with her a little bit, and I said, oh, okay. Well, then I got busy, I kind of forgot about it. 
Well, sure enough, mid-afternoon, this young lady shows up to the office and uh, starts telling me a little bit of the backstory. And I said, oh, it, you, your name is, and I called her name, and she, she stopped. And she looked at me and said, how did you know? And I thought, boy, you know, in hindsight, I thought, man, I could have really, really played that one up right there. I mean, you know, you ever been caught with a deer in the headlight? That's what happens. You like, he said, yeah, you're right. You, you've had five, and the guy that you're with right now, man, confronted. I mean, how could a woman in a day like that have five husbands? Okay? Even today, that would be very unusual. Even today. I mean, did they all die? Possible, but probably not likely. Had she been divorced five times? You know, had some of the men just totally abandoned her, uh, kind of an all-too-common fate for women in that particular culture? It, you know, it's probably a combination of death and divorce and all of that. We know that she's currently living in a sinful relationship with a man outside of marriage. The words of Jesus sound harsh. They're penetrating. But I want you to hear this. Even though the words that Jesus spoke sound harsh, it's probably the most loving thing he could have said at that moment to that lady. You see, because without conviction of sin, there can be no conversion. Without a recognition that we are lost and in need of a Savior, we can never know redemption. See, the, the great blockade to salvation today in our cultures, we've raised people to believe that they are good, inherently good, and that the environment is what corrupts them, but that's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are born in sin, shaped in iniquity, that we all sin and come short of the glory of God, and that uh, the, a man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We don't, we, don't, we don't hear that anymore. We don't want to hear that anymore. And so today it's hard to get people to see that the reason that they, you know, we don't get saved just to escape hell. We get saved because we're sinners. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get her to understand who she is and what's going on. And they, the words sound harsh, and yet it's so loving for Jesus to call her out because now she's, she's confronted with it and she's convicted by it. Because without conviction of sin, there's no conversion. See, God sees behind the mask of, uh, to that reality that's within us. And until we come to grips with sin, we can't be saved. I don't care how many Bible verses we know and how many gospel songs we can sing. If there is no conversion, if there's no repentance, there's no salvation. Plain and simple. By asking her about her husband, here's what he's done. He's, expo he's exposing this woman's lifelong pursuit of happiness. You don't just bounce from one relationship to another, to another, to another if you're fulfilled. He exposes her pursuit. And, and today, you know, it might not be husbands, but it might be some other vice. Because people today are bouncing from one thing to another to another to another in this relentless pursuit to find something to fill that void that we all have. Evidently, this lady had entered one failed relationship after another. Each time, can't you imagine? Just picture yours. Each time she probably said, you know what, this is the man. This time I'm going to be happy. And every time she was disappointed. And now she's been disappointed so many times she doesn't even risk marriage. But the, deep, but the, the, the words Jesus spoke to her reveal a deep-seated loneliness, a hole in her heart that no man could fill. 
again, far from being irrelevant, the words Jesus spoke go to the core of her problem, and truthfully ours. Again, we, we've all been raised in our culture today to believe that if we only find the right man or the right woman, then we'll be happy. I know men that have great women. I know women have great men that are not happy. But we bought into that. And when we get to that place where that woman doesn't make us happy or that man, we're not happy, then what do we do? We jump from one relationship to another, to another, to another. We go, you know, they had that show, that dumb show that came on, I don't remember how long ago, it was called Temptation Island. What a stupid show. Temptation Island. You know, we take this quick trip to Temptation Island hoping against hope that this time, this is going to be different. This time I'm marrying for love. This time I'm going to be happy. This time, this time, this time. This lady did that five times and it didn't work. Here's the thing, no human relationship can satisfy our deepest needs. It's not possible. See, we're spiritual beings made for a relationship with God. As the old old saying is, there is a God-shaped vacuum inside of our human heart that no man or no woman can ever fill. We were made to know God. And until we know Him through Jesus Christ, we're doomed to restlessness and despair. And that's why you have so many people today searching, running to and fro, trying to find what only He can provide. Does Jesus love this woman? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, here's the wonder of God's grace. Only someone who loves you can look, to, can look at your past without blinking. You ever thought about that? You know, there are things that I've always tried to be very transparent with my, with my, my history and my struggles in life. But you know what? There are some things that I won't say to anybody. Only God knows. There are things in my life that I would never reveal. But I serve a God that can look at my past without blinking. If I were to share some of those things, there might be people that say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to attend here anymore, if that's who you were. <laughs> that's the operative word, by the way, were. But I serve a God that he didn't blink. He didn't blink at our past. See, real love means knowing the truth about someone else and reaching out to them anyway. Jesus said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have one. He said, you had five, and this guy you're in a sinful relationship with, you're not married to. See, he's not ashamed of her past, but he can't help her until she gets beyond the shame and admits the truth. See, that's why repentance, that's why conviction is important. Conviction is to bring us to repentance so that we are confronted with with that truth. See, she is... Here's the thing is right here at this point of the story, she's almost saved. I know that doesn't get you anywhere, but, I mean, she's there. She's getting there. Remember, Jesus is step by step by step leading this woman into a salvation experience with him. She's near the kingdom, right there at the door. Jesus has laid bare the things that she could not keep hidden. Again, this is the thing that makes a lot of sinners uncomfortable. So what does she do? Again, it's the same thing we do. When we're confronted with the reality of our sin, what do we do? We change the subject. How about them cowboys? We change the subject. So let's look at the third thing, the conversion. (laughs) Here's what she does. That's what she does. She changes the subject. He said, hey, you've had five. You're living in a sinful relationship. She said, here's what she says. Well, you know, you're a Jew and I'm Samaritan. There's a time coming. Um, 
And, and, and now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is a spirit. Uh, let's see, where am I at? Sorry, I lost my place here. Verse 23. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, here's what she said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, again, this is, is re- revealing. The lady has met a most unusual man because he knows her past. She automatically thinks he must be a prophet, okay? So she's like, oh, this guy's a religious fella. <laughs> automatically thinks because he's, he's told her some things. And since he's, she, he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan, she begins to engage in this theological debate with Jesus. A big mistake, by the way. In that day, the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans worshipped uh, at Mount Gizram. Gears, I can't even say it. Anyway, that mountain there. And so she wants to know, which is the right one? Right? How many times have you ever tried to witness to somebody, and they want to bring up another religion? She's like, which mountain? You're a Jew, and you worship there, and I'm a Samaritan, and I worship here. Which is the right one for worship? I love the fact, I love how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't bother debating her. He just simply says, hey, there's a time coming when geography doesn't matter. When geography doesn't matter, God is greater than geography. He's greater than race, class, sex, religious tradition. He wants worship, according to the scripture, he wants worship that's based on truth and wholehearted commitment to him. That's what he's after. Religious activity doesn't count because, listen, anybody can go through the motions. Anybody can walk in and sit in our chair and, and raise a hand on the cue and say an amen or nod our head and all those other things. Activity doesn't count because you can have people that have a lot of religious activity sitting in wonderful churches that are still filled with anger and bitterness and profanity and hatred and lust and greed and envy and all of these other things. It, still, it happens all the time. The worship that God accepts has to be based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, 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 and that's what he's after. Slowly, the truth now begins to dawn on this woman. She's heard that the Messiah will someday come to the earth. And imagine her surprise when Jesus said in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. You ever seen those commercial, or those cartoons, you know, when, when we're growing up or our kids are growing up and, and you have that cartoon that has that epiphany where that light bulb appears over the head and like, whoop. Here we are in verse 26. I who speak to you am he. What an amazing statement in this story. You know what he's doing? He's claim, he is plainly declaring himself to be the Messiah. Flat out. He, and he does it in a, in a unique way. In the Greek, it would read something like this. The one who speaks to you I am. Now, where have you heard that before? I am. See, I am was the name that God revealed himself to Moses, okay? So Jesus is, a, is claiming identity with God. No doubt this woman was blown away. She came for water in the middle of the day, and she ends up meeting the Son of God, the Messiah, face to face. The one who speaks to you, I am. 
So let's look at the fourth thing, the confession. Verse 28 says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know what happens there? She goes from a non-believer to a witness. That fast. I've always said I love to see raw converts. I love to see people that God saved from the uttermost to the guttermost, and, and, and they don't know any better. They're not, they're not grounded theologically. You know, some churches, I think, make a mistake because they want to sit. And I'm not, I'm not against new believers' classes and things like that. We need to instruct and disciple. That's what the Bible says. But this lady didn't have time for a new believers' class. She experienced something that every one of us seated here tonight have experienced. When we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we talk about the joy that flooded our soul. There was something you can see. There was a transformation that took part or took place in that lady's heart. And so she runs back to the village and said, hey, come see a man who, who's told me everything I've ever done, which was quite telling because they probably knew her story too. <laughs> Could this be the Christ? So this woman is converted somewhere between verses 26 and 27. How do we know? Again, because she leaves her water pot and she goes and tells people in town, listen, there's always going to be evidence, external evidence of a salvation experience. I love seeing newbies, people that have not been corrupted by the system of the church because they, they get excited, man. They feel like they can take the devil on with both hands tied behind their back, man. They're just like, bring it on. I'll take you out. You know, and, and, they, and they don't mind. They tell everybody. They're the first ones at church and the last one to leave. And, man, they're just bubbling over with joy. That's what's going on with this lady. I'm, you know, the thing that sticks out to me about this lady, I'm struck by how little she knows. Again, she didn't have time to go through four weeks of New Believers class. She, she didn't know much. I mean, she just went to the well to get water in the middle of the day. She met a man who's sitting there on the lip of that on that of that well, and he tells her everything, and 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 then reveals that he's the Messiah. Here's what she does. Here's what she knows. He knows me. That's it. We call that her story. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story. I mean, think about it. She runs back to the village, and again. She doesn't understand much. All she says was, he knows me. Now, that's not the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> and she's, I don't, she doesn't say, you know, I think that's, I think that's a, it's not the four spiritual laws. Listen, she's a very unlikely witness. Most of us would want our new converts better trained than that. But here's the thing. God is willing to use those who are willing to be used. God is willing to be used, or excuse me, God is willing to use those who are willing to be used. When Jesus gives you living water, you know what you want to do? You want to share it with somebody else. This lady, was she's experiencing the living water that Jesus said he would give to her, and now she's got to share it with everybody else. We come to the end of the story in verses 39 through 41. Notice what it says here. It says, many of the Samaritans from town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. Many believe because this lady, again, she's not grounded theologically. She hasn't gone through New Believers class. She doesn't, hasn't learned the ABCs of the Roman road. She hasn't learned any of that stuff. She just said, he knows me. He knows me. 
He told, in fact, she goes on, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Wow. See, here is a lesson in the power of the gospel. One woman with an inadequate knowledge and a mustard seed of faith brings a whole town to Jesus. <laughs> See, she didn't know she couldn't do that. Today we'd be like, no, 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 you sit down over there, go to class. We got these classes for you. Go there and go to conference. You do all these things. No, this one lady with inadequate knowledge and a mustard seed of faith brings a whole town to Jesus because he told her everything he'd ever, she'd ever done. Again, never, never attended classes, never read a book. She met Jesus, and he changed her life. That's the essence. That's the essence. I, I think people today are just, you know, I've said this for many, many years, that we, we, we have so many people today that never have had an, an authentic presentation of Jesus Christ. Because I think we make it so, so complicated. This lady, she was as, as uncomplicated as they could come. And yet, she changed the, uh, the city. See, sometimes we wonder how a little person, or excuse me, sometimes we wonder how, uh, how little a person can believe and still be saved, or we ask, well, how much do you have to understand to go to heaven? And evidently, the answer is not much. <laughs> not much. Right? Not much. This lady didn't know much at all. But she knew enough that this man changed her life. Listen, as long as, as we are solid on two things, number one, that we are a sinner, and that Jesus is our Savior, then we're good. Isn't it, isn't it sad today how, how divisive the churches can be over doc, There are some non-negotiables, I understand. But we get twisted off on things. You know, you got, you know, since we're talking about the end-time things, you got people that galvanize behind the mid-trib and the post-trib and the pre-trib. And, they don't, hey, if you're saved, you're going up. Called up or blown up, you're going up, right? Amen? You're either going to go up before, in the middle, or after. The point is to be ready. To be ready. We, we, we split hairs and we divide ourselves. And this lady, she just, she knew she was a sinner and she knew Jesus was her Savior. And she went and told everybody about this man and they all changed. Listen, if you're willing... As I bring this to a close tonight, if you, if you know you're a sinner and you're willing to trust Jesus as your Savior, anybody can be saved. That's it. And there's plenty of time to fill in the details later. You, you hear my fishing story all the time. I, I like to go fish, fishing with my guys over there at Cedar Creek because they take me out, put me on the fish. I use their stuff, their gas, their bait, catch the fish. They get, they get it off the hook for me most of the time, put it in their cooler, Get back to the to the boathouse. They take the cooler out. I sit down. They take those fish and they clean them and put them in a bag and I bring them home. That's good fishing right there. <laughs> That's good fishing right there. You know why I'm not cleaning them? Because it's not my job. It's not my job. See, the church made an error when we figured out, when we started thinking it was our job to clean people up. Our job is to go catch them. By the boatloads, bring them in, 
and then let the Holy Spirit start doing. He's got a good fillet knife. He knows how to lay it bare and let him go do his thing. Listen, our job is help them to recognize they're a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. And if they can come to that place of understanding, then they can be saved, and then he can start all the details because he's pretty good. We used to sing that song when I was a kid. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And you know what? He's still doing that. I'm, I'll be 57 here in, a, in, in a, a few weeks, and he's been working on me for 57 years. And he'll keep working on me. I, I know, I, I know my, my guardian angels get so wore out. <laughs> but he's still working. Listen, in the, as I close, in the, spiritual, in the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. It's not where you've been. It's where you're going that matters. This woman may have had a checkered past. She may have been ostracized by the other women. But right now, her future is bright because she met, she met a man who told her everything about her. So what do, we, what do we learn from this, about Jesus, from this encounter? Well, number one, we, know, we, we learned that Jesus was willing to break custom to talk to a lady that needed him. He had no prejudice. He didn't let the, the social norms of the day dictate how he should respond. He knew a lady that needed him and what he had, and he went there. Number two, he spent time with her. Again, if we're going to reach people, we've got to go where they are. We've got to go. I, I, I don't want to keep saying things. Listen, it's okay to have people, friends that are non-believers. Because if we don't have non-believing friends, how are we going to win them? I, I truly believe that. Some people may have a different opinion. I truly believe it's okay. You know, it's okay. Just because you have a non-believer doesn't mean you have to participate in what they do. When I was in, the, when I was in service, my first assignment in, in, uh, in Louisiana, Fort Polk, Louisiana, again, I rededicated my life to the Lord, committed my life back to ministry. The group of guys that I was stationed with, their thing on the weekend, if we weren't deployed somewhere, their thing, would they would start drinking about... Uh, noontime on Friday, my job in the barracks before I got married, my job on Sundays was to pick each one of them, well, the ones that were passed out uh, in, the, in the grass. I'd get them up, get them in their bunk, and tuck them in. That was my job. For six months, they never thought much about the preacher man. They would want to break up on uh, you know, Friday afternoons, and they'd run, do their kegs and whatever else they were going to do. And never once asked me, said anything to me. I'd go on do my thing. But I worked every day. I was faithful. I was loyal. I let them know I could do the job. Probably be better than most of them because at least I had my, <laughs> I had my scruples with me. After about six months, I, after about six months, when one of the guys, I'll never forget, one of the guys left to go do his keg run. Another guy spoke up and said, hey. Get a six-pack of Coke for Mike. And when he said that, there was something inside that said, you're in. You're in. And I built great relationships, led two of them to the Lord before I moved to Germany. In fact, relationships that I still have today with some of these guys. Just be there with them. Just be there. He spent time with her. Number three, he knew her past, but he didn't hold it against her. And number four, he led her gently to a brand new life. He didn't get up there and say, turn or burn. 
or shake or bake. He gently led her on a path of discovery. And she said, hey, come see a man. <laughs> Here's an amazing fact as I close. She's the first one to whom Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? She is the very first one that he revealed himself to be the Messiah. He told her something that the disciples did not yet understand. Her neighbors shunned her. Her husbands rejected her. The Jews hated her. But God wanted her. He loved her. See, he specializes in the forgotten people because they willing they because they they're willing to listen to him. He populates heaven with the earthly rejects. Last story, and I close. I promise. That's my third one. Priscilla Owens taught in the Baltimore public schools. She was actively involved in the Union Square Methodist Church in Baltimore. One day, she had been asked to write a new song, a new hymn for the Sunday school, uh, for the su upcoming Sunday school missionary service. She told her friends that most of the missionary songs uh, were very heavy, very heavy and hard to sing. And so she wanted to write an uplifting song, so she sat down, and here's what she wrote. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The second verse, wafted on rolling tide, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Tell to sinners far and wide, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's the message. That's the message that we all need to hear. Tell it to sinners. Jesus saves. Would you stand with me tonight? He saved this woman at the well. That, think about it. That woman uh, that morning woke up laden with guilt and shame. But when she laid her head on the pillow that night, she will have a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And she will have a peace that surpasses all understanding because she met a man who told her everything she'd ever done. I want you to bow with me tonight. If you're online tonight, I'm just going to close in prayer. And I want to ask you this way. I want to ask you online here tonight. If it's so easy. You know, Jesus described the cares of life that choke out, choke out the word. He is the word. And I can't help but wonder sometimes if we get so preoccupied with all the things going on that we miss our time with Jesus. He's the answer. He said, if you knew who it was, that's speaking to you. I think sometimes we forget who it is that we're worshiping, who it is that we're serving. If we understood who he was, then the anxieties would be gone, the fears would be gone, the frustrations would be gone. Sometimes we need a fresh revelation of the I am because the, the revelation this lady had changed her life and she, in turn, was used to change others. So I want to ask as we close in prayer tonight, anybody here and online, if you'll comment on and pray with you, just say, you know what, Pastor, I want a fresh encounter with Jesus. I just want a fresh encounter with Jesus. Just slip your hand right, right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I just want a fresh revelation of him. 
Father, tonight I love you so much. Thank you for this beautiful story. Lord, you had to go to Samaria because you were looking for a lost lady who had been ridiculed and ostracized and hated by others. And yet you loved her with an everlasting love. And you knew that that day would be a transformation. Lord, with each of us, you do the same. You don't hold our past against us. Lord, you don't flaunt things that we've done in our face and tell us how bad we are. You love us. And you came to us. Father, I pray for the hands that went up tonight and those that are online that said, you know, I just need a fresh revelation. Lord, it is so easy to be bogged down with the cares of life, preoccupied with this and that, and, and forget who you are. You told the lady, if you knew who it was speaking to you, you would have asked. Lord, may we understand who it is that we're serving, and may we ask you for peace, for joy, for deliverance, for strength, for guidance. Lord, may we ask because we remember who you are. You are the I am. Lord, give us that revelation and that desire. Father, I ask you to go with us tonight and give us a wonderful restful night. May we sleep well and soundly in you and may we wake up in the morning rejuvenated and strengthened in our bodies to go out and face the challenges of each day, Lord. And I pray that you would put people in our pathway that we can tell our story. Just, uh, just tell them. I, I, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done and he didn't hold it against me. Lord, help us to go where the people are and to be the light in their darkness. Bring us on Sunday, should you tarry, ready to receive your word once again. I love and I bless each one now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.